Hello everyone, it's Joanna. I wanted to give you the heads up that in today's podcast, there is a little bit of overlapping of voices uh, between me and um, our guest. That has to do with the recording equipment. I'm sure you've heard me mention this before. I'm happy to say that tomorrow I will be doing a recording and it will be with new equipment, new equipment, new recording um, software. Uh, so I just wanted to be clear about that. It's it's not that my guest and I wanted to talk over each other. So I've tried to make the podcast as clear and concise as possible without over-editing. I, I didn't want to lose the integrity and the the impact of our of the discussion. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Lou, for opening up about a difficult time in your life. And on to today's podcast. Um, so yeah, there was one final incident, and it was sort of just the the last, the last, um, almost the, the the last door opening for me to be like, okay, yeah, I can walk out now. I can I can go and know that I have done absolutely everything to try and make this work. Um, and like I said, taking my vows very seriously. And uh, but at some point, you have to save yourself. And so I'd done all the paperwork and I was waiting. I was waiting for my divorce certificate to come through, desperate for it to be here, you know, to, for it to arrive for my mom's before I left. But it didn't arrive. And my mom was like, I will send it on as soon as it gets here. When it finally did arrive after I'd left, the divorce certificate is signed the day that I actually flew out to Vancouver. So the day I was on that plane, there was a judge in a court somewhere signing off my divorce. Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. This is episode two of season two. How's everybody doing? It's 2021. Hang in there, people. Hang in. Um, people are being vaccinated. There, there's hope. There's hope. Okay. Our turn will come. Anyways, on to today's podcast. Today we have author. Louise Johnson with us. Louise will be talking about her memoir, Lou Who, a memoir of self-discovery, which was a finalist in the 2020 Canadian Book Club Awards. She is a blogger and her blog is Divorced and Dating at Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And congratulations from one Canadian Book Club Award finalist to another. Congratulations. Good. True what they say about, you know, just being nominated is so wonderful. And I definitely felt that way. It was a, it was a lovely surprise um, for the end of last year. So, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's lovely to be recognized in that way for sure. Now, your memoir, Lou Who, A Memory of Self-Discovery, was an eye-opener for me. Honestly, uh, dating is tough. Do you yes, find it definitely tough? It's um, tough. I always say it's challenging. I think, um, I mean, I live in Vancouver and 
everyone here seems to think it's the worst place to date. But to be completely honest, I don't know if there's any worse or better place than anywhere else. Um, you know, I don't actually have anywhere anything to compare it to. I only started dating again, kind of once I, I moved to Vancouver. And so, um, but it definitely, you know, very challenging, um, especially now with like the age of technology and all the changes that that has brought, even just in terms of, you know, social media, um, but obviously the dating apps, um, but relationship values are changing as well. So I think that's the other kind of thing where oftentimes you kind of don't really know quite where you fit in or how it really works anymore. Um, and, you know, all the sort of dating rules that I remember sort of being talked about when I was younger and when I was growing up and seeing that on magazines, like I just, I think the rules have all just gone out the window. So um, yeah, it's a little challenging. It's a little challenging. Um, but, you know, I think mindset is key for me. That was like the big thing was just, you know, looking at it as an opportunity to meet new and hopefully interesting people, um, but certainly new people, if nothing else. And so, uh, yeah, but challenging. It has, and, and as the book obviously talks about, um, very much going through the sort of roller coaster of dating, um, which is the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to give the listeners an idea of um, the, okay. I'd say the inciting moment in your memoir. Now, also, so our listeners know, you knew your husband for about um, years yeah, a little less, but yeah, marriage. I'd known him Is since right? I was nine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we were, you know, family friends. He was my brother's, sort of one of my brother's best friends. Um, and our families were very, very close. And so, yes, I'd known him since I was a child. And then, you know, when we were coming of age, and you know, um, I started dating him when I was nineteen. Um, so, and and then married um, by the time I was twenty-five. So, yeah, it was uh, you know, it was someone who had been in my life for really almost as long as I could remember. So, you're six weeks married, <laughs> and what do you find out of, about your husband? We had just come back from honeymoon. You know, there had been no thank you cards written yet. We hadn't even seen our photos from the wedding. You know, still very much kind of living, or I thought living that kind of like, you know, bubble of uh, of post-wedding excitement. And um, yeah, we just, uh, you know, I found out that he had, uh, that he cheated on me before we got married. Um, in fact, when we were engaged. And then just that there had been already a lot of inappropriate um, behavior uh, since we were married, you know, it, within those six weeks, um, which was interesting as well, because I had ended up in hospital in Mexico on our honeymoon. And so I was like, when did you even have time for, for this? So, um, yeah, I, I found out, you know, there was indiscretions and, um, and it was soul destroying. I, it was the most shocking thing that I had ever kind of had to deal with. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it became about, I found out because he sort of had picked a fight with me one evening and went and went storming out the house. Um, and when he returned, there was just something, and it, you can call it kind of women's intuition or, you know, kind of gut feeling, but uh, there was just something that just yeah. didn't sit right with me about the whole evening and things that had unfolded and uh, when he'd come back and how he'd been. And so um, as he was sort of passed out on the sofa, I um, did the thing that I never would have wanted to do, but I, I checked his phone. And so, yeah, there was, and, and then it just kept coming. Then it was just like an avalanche of, of discovery. Um, and there was definitely times where I was like, make it stop. Like, how do I turn back the clock to not knowing any of this because you obviously can't unknow things once you know them and so um yeah it was it was a very traumatic time and what should have really been a very you know peaceful um 
you know, love-filled, uh, sort of wonderful, you know, post-wedding uh, glow. But that glow did not last long. And it wasn't just because of my gastroenteritis in Mexico, you know? Yeah. There's just so, there's so many things to consider. And not just, not just from an emotional perspective, but I'm a very rational, logical person. And um, from like a logistical perspective, I was like, wait, this, this is a lot to deal with. And, you know, what are the kind of, permutations of staying or going or you know you're trying to think all of that through but obviously the kind of overriding part of it is the emotional aspect of the fact that somebody that I had trusted implicitly um and that I had known for so long and had known a lot about my my family history as well and you know my parents marriage and, and their divorce and he had been there through all of that because he'd been so much a part of my life for so long and to have somebody you know really just um just throw that trust away and completely diminish everything that you thought you had is one of the most um, confusing and uh, and perplexing uh, experiences that I have ever had for sure. You have and um, such uh, you have, I say here, uh, quite the decision to make. Um, do you leave him or do you stay married and try to work through this? Um, I'm sure. Um, listeners who are listening to this um, have their own strong views on what they would do. Um, but, you know, we're individuals, you're not them. And they're um, not what's you. so funny that you so say that actually about decide? people having strong thoughts, because prior to this, I had been one of those people that I was like, if, if anyone ever cheated on me, that would be it, it will be done, it will be over. And I could never understand my parents struggled uh, with infidelity uh, in their marriage. Um, and, um, well, my father struggled less than my mom did. She had to put up with it. But, um, you know, I had I'd witnessed that. And that was my feeling was like, absolutely not. I will never be that woman. I will never put up with that. And it is so easy to say that when you do not have to deal with it, when you're not in that position of having to make the decision. And you still love this person. It is not a black and white. It is not like that thing happens. You find out this stuff and, and, and the walls, certainly not for me, my walls didn't go up. It was still, this was the man that I loved. And 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 so yeah, that decision was then fully mine to make. Um, and the decision I had made was, you know, I took some time away and, and sort of thought it. And like I say, was thinking. So do we get, get divorced after six weeks? Um, what does that even look like? What does my life look like after that? And I just had never, maybe naively, but I had never considered that I would ha have to consider life without him. Um, you know, that we had been, we were we were together that was it we were planning for you know the rest of our lives um but at that point I think you know I had taken my vows very seriously and um and it, it, you know he was very very apologetic as well and and very much like I just don't know how it happened I don't know which is interesting but you know it, I think a few of us could tell we kind of exactly. know how so, it happens um, okay yeah, sorry so, you know but he was he was he wanted to change he wanted to make it work mm. he was wanting to do anything that he could to save the marriage and you know I wanted to believe him and so you know uh that as and I we agreed that you know, there was work to obviously be done a lot of work um and so I I went back um and uh yeah I, I was away for a, a few months I lived with my mom and and then you know we sort of tried to get back on a level and and um you know we agreed to do the work and that was the key thing for me I think was that there was this sense of you know we, we can't just go back and it will be fine um so uh, so yeah we we sort of started to go to therapy um albeit that I think I definitely went more than he did um and um 
yeah, it was a, it was, th- that was the decision I made. And that was my choice. That was the sword that I decided to, to sort of fall on was that I wanted to try and make it work. I know there was very strong feelings amongst family and friends about that, both supportive and very much not. Um, but, you know, that was my decision. And then I knew I had to live with it as well. And, you know, you, you write in your novel about um, getting in the car and the seatbelt smelling of perfume. And I just thought, oh my God, you know, I, I, didn't even you know that didn't even I didn't even think about that you and your husband are are trying to work things denies 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 Mm -hmm. and it's like you said given his priors like what type of reaction did he think you're going to have right yeah you decide to leave and so our listeners know when I say Lou left Lou left Edinburgh and she moved to Vancouver like that's like leaving so is that when your divorce became final? Yeah, so um, so like I say, I, I went back and tried to make it work and um, was very serious about that. And then it just, it kind of just never, it was never the same again. And there was a couple of other instances of, of things that happened. And I, again, I sort of detail them in the book, but um, yeah, eventually there was kind of one last, one last incident. And by then, to be honest, I was, I was kind of already checked out. I think I had become so disengaged or or just disenfranchised by the whole thing it was just you know it wasn't how I thought my marriage would be it wasn't how I thought life would be and the thought that that was going to be my life for the rest of it was uh, just horrible it was it used to really if I thought like okay this might be the rest this might be how life is for the rest of my life and I couldn't actually I, I couldn't let that thought come into my head because it was so scary um and so frightening to me that I could live that way because I had become incre- I mean, massively insecure. I was um, incredibly anxious. I wasn't myself. You know, my friends used to sort of be like, oh, you know, you just don't seem, you don't seem the same anymore. And, you know, looking back now and with some of those very friends, we laugh about it. They're like, why did we even ask you that? Of course you weren't like, of course you were struggling. And of course it was difficult. Um, so yeah, there was one final incident and it was sort of just the, the last, the last, um, almost the, the last door opening for me to be like, okay, yeah, I can walk out now. I can, I can go and know that I have done absolutely everything to try and make this work. Um, and like I said, taking my vows very seriously. And, uh, but at some point you have to save yourself. And I knew that if I stayed, I would have killed myself, you know, in one way or another. Um, yeah. And so it was, yeah, that was not an easy decision to make by any means and um and came with just a whole lot of of emotional obviously attachment to it but I left and I grew up abroad um my, my parents uh we moved to Egypt when I was when I was young and so always and actually that's where I met my ex's uh, family that's where we met was when our families all lived in Egypt and um so we had always talked about sort of you know at some point in the future we would probably live abroad um and I just I'd always imagined it would be with him and you know I'd be going with a husband and you know um anyway as as I find myself now alone and living back at my mom's and sort of 30 was careering towards me in a couple of years there was just that sense of you know if I'm ever gonna do it maybe now is the time um and I love Edinburgh and I was surrounded by friends and family but I had never felt more lonely or alone in my life and so there was something just freeing about the sense of you know what let me go somewhere where I actually am alone and then if I do feel lonely it kind of at least makes sense um which is kind of a very very depressing look at it but it was also just a really wonderful opportunity to start afresh and you know experience 
experience things that hopefully would sort of unlock other parts of me that I had maybe not discovered or had shut away in the last few years of my relationship. And so, yeah, a few months, yeah, really not that long after I actually left, I booked my flight to to Vancouver and, um, you know, a one-way ticket, got my visa and, um, yeah, started planning, started planning my new life, um, which was wildly exciting and also horrifyingly terrifying all at the same time. <laughs> that's gutsy. That's, that's, that is gutsy and, and good on you. Good on you for doing that. Yeah. Um, both our daughters live in Vancouver and I love visiting Vancouver. I yeah. love going to Vancouver. I really do. That, it's a, that whole Coal Harbor, oh. I've done dogs around there and. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's a better running route in the world or if there is, I'm, I'm yet to find it, but this, yeah, this city is, is really wonderful. And so the, the very sort of uh, interesting timing of me moving here was that I'd done all the divorce application before I left in Scotland have a, a, a very helpful um, sort of self, not self-divorce, but uh, a, a kind of a, a process that you can go through where it's sort of a minimal involvement of, of you know, lawyers and and uh, all of that kind of additional stress. And so we chose to take that route or I chose to take that route and kind of didn't give him a choice um, so that I could get it done before I left for Vancouver because I just wanted it to be final. Um, yeah. So I'd done all the paperwork and I was waiting. I was waiting for my divorce certificate to come through, desperate for it to be here, you know, for it to arrive to my mom's before I left. But it didn't arrive. And my mom was like, I will send it on as soon as it gets here. When it finally did arrive after I'd left, the divorce certificate is signed the day that I actually flew out to Vancouver. So the day I was on that plane, there was a judge in a court somewhere signing off my divorce. And so I just, serendipitous (laughs) nature of that timing was not lost on me by any means. That's poetic. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, and I have to say this, you know, there's there, when I was reading your, your book and you were mentioning about um, fact checking Mm -hmm. and the timeline, I mean, timeline of infidelities, right. And you're doing this, you said before you blew apart, before I blew apart my marriage, Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm Lou, I'm Canadian. I'm sorry. <laughs> I read that. And I thought, I feel that your ex torpedoed your marriage before you even said your I do's, you know, that's just my opinion. So yeah. I guess what I want is he, I don't want you. Uh, when I was reading that, I thought, no, she's not blowing this apart. You know, there's, there's responsibility on another party here. So. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, and, and absolutely, and and it's interesting because now when I look back on it, that is absolutely the way I see it, exactly as you do. In, in terms of that was, you know, that choice was almost already made for me. Yeah. Um, you know, he left me really no other choice, and so I, I can absolutely now reflect on it that way. But in the moment of doing that, there was just this huge burden of responsibility on me that I felt. And it was everything from my own, you know, wants and hopes for my life to what I knew my family would feel and want for me, um, you know, kind of all the way to, um, you know, society as well. I was like, my God, I'm, I'm going to be divorced before, um, before, you know, I, I'm even 30. And that for me was just really something to kind of get over but absolutely you're right he had he had made those decisions he made those choices and um and I was left with 
the um the remnants and and the sort of you know after effects of that so um yeah it's interesting how that perception has changed but you're not the first person to say that to me actually about that that I was blowing apart my marriage they're like yeah I don't I don't think that was on you so um yeah I totally take that point you were left with the shrapnel and trying to figure out okay what am I going to do yeah yeah exactly and I had I had Tara Moss on this podcast um and it, in our discussion about her novel, The War the War Widow, you know, she outlines issues um, in her novel. And um, I'm just going to paraphrase one of the things she said in our discussion. And that was that we need to change the mindset that a woman is not complete unless she is married. Mm-hmm. And I like what you wrote in your memoir and is it all right if if I read uh, a few sentences from your memoir sure yeah of course please okay so you write on an imaginary scale of marriage optimist to marriage pessimist I'd like to think I'm a marriage realist I liked that line um I I really do and See, because I've always looked at as marriage and having children is a choice. And we just finished watching the whole Bridgerton Netflix series. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. I I loved it. Loved it. Yes. And I I swear I'm Eloise. Okay. I I do. (laughs) And I was like rooting for her. So thinking of Tara Moss's comment. And do you believe... Even in 2021, there is this silent expectation that a woman should be married before 30. Um, it's so funny that you you bring up Bridgerton, especially in relation to this question, because you know, obviously, when you look at that, and you know, the, if anyone hasn't watched it, please do. I it's one of the one most wonderful pieces of television I've watched in such a long time, with such wonderful escapism. But there is also just something about the fact that you know, you're watching it and these, you know, women are going out on the sort of, um, they're being you know, deputed in, into society um, and the sort of marriage society of, of London and England. It's a period piece. And so they are, you know, out there to be married off. And really, you know, they just have to go out and look pretty while the men, you know, sort of, you know, do their rounds and they decide, you know, who they want. And, and then, you know, marriage proposals apparently abound. Um and you know that is that was for all of them apart from as you mentioned kind of Eloise has this very uh, what we would now say I guess take as a modern take on it uh in terms of wanting to be her own woman and start a business rather than you know get married and have babies mm-hmm. um and so you know obviously as I'm watching that it's like well, well we have definitely come some way um having said all of that yeah it is 2021 but I think that <clears throat> while individually I think most you know a lot of people don't feel like marriage is the be all and end all. I think as a society and especially in media, we still perpetuate this idea that marriage is the goal. Marriage is a a kind of sign of of success. I mean, we talk about failed marriages, for example. So, you know, when that marriage undoes, that is somehow a failure. And yet I feel like me saving myself from my marriage was really one of my biggest successes. And so it's just interesting how we how we, you know, we frame those things. Um, and, you know, myself and, and a lot of my my girlfriends um, don't feel that we necessarily um, have this end goal of being married. Are we open to it? Would we like it? Sure. 
is that how we are going to, um, you know, rate or, or sort of, you know, uh, decide if, if our life has been successful? No. Um, but absolutely still within society, there is this sense of, of, you know, that should be, that should be sort of what we're aiming for. It is definitely changing, but you know, even as we look at celebrities and, and Jennifer Aniston, for example, always comes to mind because she is a phenomenally, phenomenally successful woman, you know, in her now 50s. Um, and yet whenever they talk about her, they always talk about how she's unwed and, and doesn't have any children um, because, you know, that is how we are apparently um, classified. And so, um, yeah, it's it's one of those, um, you know, now I, I definitely I feel less um, pressure about it. But I also think that I probably have the luck in inverted commas uh the luck of having already been married and so there's I think there's a little less pressure on me because of that um I'm also very forthright in the fact that that is absolutely not um you know an end goal of mine and not to say that I'm not open to it but it's just not something that is how I will you know decide if I've been successful in my life um so definitely changing but um but also what's so interesting about Bridgerton is is it you know, so many of those conversations, while maybe the dating situation has changed and we're now swiping on apps rather than on sort of, you know, at balls with dance cards. But um, mm-hmm. there's something about, you know, the fundamental piece around, you know, finding a partner, finding a friendship, finding, mm-hmm. you know, those things that kind of can can add to your life rather than it being just about being married and, and having a husband or being taken care of. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I there was parts of it that still ver- ring very much true um, mm-hmm. in day and, and for me but yeah definitely not that sense of you know the only thing I can I can do with my life is is get married and have children good okay <laughs> you know I used to be a personal trainer used to be a fitness instructor okay so when I'm reading that you're working out you're doing kickboxing you're running marathons I'm like yes <laughs> yes um I uh, I used to have a, a, in my fitness class, I used to have a, the big boxing bag. And I tell you, some days the when the women would come in for class and we would do almost like a Tabata where it's like two minutes really hard yeah. at a certain station and then move on. And some of the ladies, when they would get on that boxing, you know, it was like, okay, put the gloves on, you know, so slide the gloves on because you have like a 30 second rest. Yeah. And they would get on that boxing bag and I'd be like, careful, careful, <laughs> careful, watch those wrists, the wrists don't bend, you know, right? So, um, yeah, yeah the, phys- uh, physical activity during certain rough times in your life, I highly recommend it, right? Um, Completely, it is, it is, which has definitely been part of my sort of transformation in terms, physically and mentally, like both, it has, it has been phenomenal for both. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So, it's around this time um, you get involved in a writing program, which I absolutely love the name of it, um, or I should say a writing program or writing group, and it's called Damn Early Days. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain to our listeners what this group is about? For sure. So, um, so Damn Early Days is a program or is a program that is run um, by a community group here in Vancouver, um, or actually you can join it wherever, but the, the sort of founders are based in Vancouver. And it's from a group called Chasing Sunrise. And initially it was kind of just a community sort of Facebook group to get people together to go hiking and, and kind of do outdoor expeditions and trips. Um, and then they developed this program called Damn Early Days, which um, wasn't specifically for writing, but that's kind of what I used it for. And for 30 days, uh, you sign up. Um, or 
maybe it was 21 to begin with, um, but for a, a considerable number of weeks, um, you sign up to uh, receive sort of text alerts every morning at a very, very early hour. And the idea behind it is that you are, you're waking up at that early time to do something with those extra hours in your day that you just don't get time to do otherwise, but is actually very important to you and would make your life better. Um, and so, it, you know, some people, for example, would use it to, um, so I knew someone or someone had signed up and they were using it to to simply just organize their house. They were like, by the time I come home after work, it's the last thing I want to do. But I know that having a tidy house helps me. And I have so much, you know, decluttering and all that kind of stuff to do. So they signed up to do that. Um, other people signed up so that they would just get up and work out um, because they, they couldn't, you know, otherwise they just didn't have time for it. Um, myself and, and a few others, we signed up to, to, to sort of write. And that was when I started writing the blog. Um, I've always sort of found writing very therapeutic for me, but I'd never made time for it. It was something that, you know, every so often, or if I was on a plane or something and had a, you know, a long wait somewhere, I might write something on a note with my phone or if I had a notebook, but never something I made time for. And so with damn early days, I was getting up at 4.45 in the morning. Um, and actually the first time I did it, so you, like I say, you did it for this certain period of time and they would run it, basically it's sort of do an intake every month. And the first time I did it was a January and so it was, you know, dark for hours, you know, after I woke up, but it was actually lovely because I was cocooned in the darkness in my apartment and I would, you know, light a candle, put on a lamp, make a cup of tea and I would sit down and write. And it was the most wonderful start to the day. Then I would write for an hour and then I would journal, I would meditate and then I would work out. And then I would get ready, have breakfast and go to work. And so by the time I got to work, I'd already worked on myself for, you know, a good two and a half hours, um, you know, three hours. And so it was just, I found it to be a really cathartic um, process. And, you know, it's not so much the early mornings that's a problem or, or the, the challenge, it's making sure that your night before is as it should be. So I was obviously going to bed incredibly early, um, but, you know, who's doing anything in January anyway? So it was, it was a, I was happy to give up my evenings um, and then start to have this really, you know, very productive um, and self-indulgent. It felt very self-indulgent to get up at 4.45 and spend two and a half hours leisurely doing things for myself. Um, and so, you know, and what would I have been doing in the evening? I'd have been too tired to do anything productive. And so I probably would have just been sat watching TV or, you know, doing something that was not as as useful. And so instead, I just kind of cut those hours out of my of my day and I went to bed instead and then got up and kind of you know front loaded my day with with all of this sort of great stuff so um that was and, and like I say that was when I started writing my blog and you know just really enjoyed that process of starting to self-reflect in words and starting to unload a lot of my thoughts um and yeah it was a really great uh really great experience I still I, I haven't done it for a few years I've not done the, the the damn early days program for a few years but it was um definitely one of the happiest times of just, you know, really making time for myself, which is, is so important. And that, yeah, I, I, I totally understand yeah. because I know for me, I do my working out in the morning and it's, it was a realization that when I get up in that morning, the first thing I'm doing is something for myself yeah. working out before I'm, I always used to say before I'm giving my time to my office job you know and it it makes a huge difference on your outlook absolutely absolutely and my mental state as well just you know once I got to work I was and everyone said well you're not are you not tired and 
I was like, no, because you feel so fulfilled by it, you know, and so energized by it. if you're doing something that you genuinely love. And that was the key. That was what they kept saying, you know, whenever you were struggling. And so the texts that we used to get in the morning would have kind of some really useful information, whether it was about setting, you know, or creating habits or whether it was about getting good sleep or whether it was about, you know, being productive. Um, it, it was useful things to kind of help you, you know, make make the most of that time. And they always said that the people that struggled the most or, or if people were struggling, they would say, okay, go back to your why, you know, really think about why it is that you're, you wanted to do this in the first place and what difference you thought it would make to your life. And if it's not resonating with you, then maybe the why is wrong or maybe the what is wrong. And so really starting to reassess that. And I think that was, again, where I probably started to really think about what did I want for myself? What did I, how did I want to live my life? Um, you know, what were my priorities? And they weren't going to be everyone's priorities. And for people, like, I cannot believe you're getting up at 4.45 to write a dating blog. And I was like, but I feel so fulfilled by it. And I don't, no one else needs to understand that, but for you and, and for, you know, your own kind of growth, it is, uh, it's so important to just have that time before you give yourself to everybody else in your life and your work and your phone starts, you know, buzzing and, and, you know, you start sort of getting dragged into the news and things like that. It's, um, yeah, to just have that sort of, um, like I say, felt very self-indulgent, but actually very necessary time um, is, yeah, it, I, I still, to some degree, not 4.45, but I certainly to some degree still enjoy my mornings and, and have time to myself. And I know a lot of writers who do early, early morning writing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have been on this podcast. And I remember reading Stephen King's uh, memoir and uh, book about writing. Yeah. And he said the best times to write are early morning and late at mm-hmm. evening. And it, it's it's true. I really do believe yeah. that. So getting on to your writing. Um, uh, now, our listeners have an idea about your mm-hmm. memoir. And I have never written a memoir. I write fiction. And as I was, as I read your memoir beginning to end I got the sense that the process is almost similar like a story um you have your inciting incident there is our heroine which is you who is you Lou okay who needs to make a decision you do okay because from the inciting incident you move to Vancouver and you are now you're dealing with a a dating life and um whole new whole new I mean seriously that is like out of a novel you know our heroine has left her home and is plunked into this totally different situation okay and you do have some health concerns and you could feel I could feel um it's like and like you said health concerns the pace yeah the pacing of your memoir leads to a climatic incident. Um, and I was thinking that was Whistler. Yep. yep. And then you make a you make a decision about your yeah. life. And then we we come back down to the ending. Um, did you approach your writing of your memoir like it was a fictional novel? Like I'm I'm wondering what how like what do you decide goes in or what was your process? Yeah. Um it's funny because you know, it, I, I, the book was written very quickly um, in the grand scheme of writing a book, as far as I, I know anyway. Um, so I actually wrote uh, sort of the entire first draft within a couple of months. And um, for me, it was easy because I keep sort of saying, you know, 
I had all of the information. It wasn't like I was trying to develop characters or, you know, think of, of you know, story arcs or looping back to things. It was just, that was what had happened. And so um, my, the difficulty for me, the only difficulty for me was, like you said, deciding what goes in and what doesn't um, and, and giving it that kind of arc. And I had a conversation with um, Megan at the self-publishing agency, who I think you might have had on your podcast recently. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. and her and I had this conversation about it. And she said, you know, you need to, like you sort of mentioned in terms of that sort of story um, and, you know, getting to sort of the, the sort of a climax and, and, you know, really being able to lead people there. Um, she sort of talked me through that a little bit. And she was like, you know, probably what you will find is that it maybe naturally follows that path. Um, but just bear that in mind when you're making those decisions. And so I did a little bit of storyboarding um, and, you know, really just sort of, timelined out those six years that that I you know sort of talk about in the book and you know had everything from you know people's weddings to trips that I took to um you know starting things like damn early days or you know starting to write the blog or job changes um and and really then try to sort of see where there were those um the sort of you know high moments of you know I was getting somewhere and then something would happen or you know the health challenges um and really trying to just Mm -hmm. sort of make sure that they were covered as as much as possible but it wasn't it was incredibly difficult to to decide what went in from a from a personal perspective because from a sentimentality aspect there was lovely little stories that I would have just loved to put in as like a little nod to a friend but ultimately I was like you know if if it's only one person who's gonna really appreciate this and it's only from literally it's a personal kind of connection and it doesn't actually add anything to the story then that was kind of when I had to start getting a little a little tough with those decisions and and choosing what did and didn't go in um so yeah I was definitely aware of the story arc and, and wanting to make sure that it it felt like a good pace and you know there's definitely a lot in there um but it was it was something which funnily enough I think my life just did lead that way and that is just how it all unfolded um so so yeah it was it was difficult but not as challenging as from you know like you say sort of you you write fiction and and that to me just seems so so challenging and and so sort of requiring a real thought whereas I was like I'm just recalling things and I have a very good memory so it was quite easy but um yeah it was I, I really enjoyed the process though of, of starting to look at my life as a story as a kind of okay if this was a book I was reading or if this was a movie I was watching you know does this make sense and, and does this kind of follow how I would want it to or, or how it makes sense so um yeah very interesting process to go through writing about myself it was it was neat like when I finished it and I, I sat back and I thought Okay, just like in my head, remembering, you know, how it started. And I thought, okay, you have your inciting incident, right? And I thought, and once I thought, got that, I thought, then I started to follow it through. And I thought, okay, I wonder if this is how she approached it. Yeah, (laughs) cool. Okay. Um, So when did you start um, writing it? Was it like after Whistler? Or was it when, like, when did you consciously decided yeah, so Whistler book. happened in the March, and um, after that, I made some changes to my life, and then um, I had sort of that summer, and then there were bigger changes that happened again, sort of from a professional perspective, um, and as a result, I sort of found myself either, you know, looking for a job or or what, and so at that point, you know, I'd, I'd sort of been writing the blog for a few years at that point, and people had said, 
oh, this should be a book. You, you know, you should totally write a book from this. And, um, and there was just a part of me that thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do this, then maybe now is the time. Maybe I take this time for myself and, and not, you know, not go back straight into work again. Um, but instead just, you know, see what I can make happen with this. Um, and the blog is very much, you know, dating stories. It's a sort of a story per per guy. Some of them are split into to, you know parts, but um, it's basically just the dates in a chronological order. And I wasn't sure that that was the book that I wanted to write, certainly not initially, um, or certainly not as my first book. It was really more, I thought the bigger story was the journey. It is that, that self-discovery. It is me going from the person at the beginning, which was anxious, depressed, you know, borderline suicidal in my marriage to you know the person that I that I found myself to be and so that was the story that I wanted to tell which was obviously punctuated by those meaningful um and and some not so meaningful relationships um and so I started to write it um sort of job change took place in the October and by the beginning of November I'd had the meeting with Megan at the self-publishing agency and decided that I was going to write it so for November December and into the first week of January, I wrote the book basically five days a week. Um, I would go every morning. I had a routine and I would go and, and start to to write. Um, and I loved it. It was probably the happiest time of my life. Um, just feeling like I was creating something like it was, you know, very meaningful for me. I was hopeful that it would be meaningful for other people um, and, and being very self-motivated, which is something I've struggled with at times in, in other you know jobs and kind of when I've been doubting myself. And but this just felt very much like it was exactly what I was supposed to do. And it was just an incredibly enjoyable experience. And so, yeah, for just over two months, I I was a sort of Starbucks, you know, 7 a.m. Uh, going in and, and writing. And it was just yeah, in, in the middle of winter, you know, everything's dark and gloomy and very rainy in Vancouver. Um, but it was it was some great times just starting to really, you know, go through it and chronologically and and what better way to kind of end out a year um than and it was 2019 that I that I that I started to write the book. And so, you know, I was ending the decade, which had included my it which had started with my marriage because I got married in 2010. And so I was concluding that decade by writing about it. And it was uh yeah, incredibly cathartic. And, um, you know, I've paid a lot of money for therapy, but this might have been the best free therapy that I've ever had. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's interesting. The timeline yeah. with that, you know, it started the decade and ended the decade. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go. You know, way to go. Yeah. So you you kind of answered my, my next question about why you started it. And like you said, it, it you know, it therapeutic for yeah. yourself. And you're hoping that it, you know, by writing this, you're not your memoir, that it'll be helpful for others as well who may, you know, maybe going through. Absolutely. And I think there was two sides of it. One was, you know, the dating stories that I've been writing on the blog were very much written in a, you know, for entertainment's sake there, you know, there's some wonderfully funny stories and, you know, horrifically awful, but very funny stories from, from the dates. Um, And that was the, the, the purpose behind the blog. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who, loved following along married friends or single friends or you know and and you know everybody sort of enjoyed that the sort of entertainment value of it but when I would actually share the stories of you know or, or parts of the story of, of my divorce and kind of that journey that I had been on you know a lot of people were very would tell me that they were inspired by it and that they you know were really you know in a, a sort of admiration of it um and a lot of people were sort of 
very grateful for me sharing things about my mental health and physical health struggles, um, you know, relationship pieces, you know, a part of it obviously being away from home. There's a lot of people who are also, you know, dealing with kind of the guilt that comes with choosing to, to leave your home and your family. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the more that people had sort of said those things to me um, and made those comments to me, the more I just felt like if I could write something which made just someone else feel like they weren't going through this by themselves, um, that, you know, everybody struggles, that, you know, no one really has their stuff together, um, you know, that that it does get better, uh, you know, those sorts of things. I think especially in the depths of my divorce and the end of my marriage, I think I just, I would have loved to have had kind of that sort of, you know, shining example and I well not a shining example but a story a story of kind of hope I guess yeah. was, the, was the piece um and not that I, I would suggest that I have an example that anyone should follow but um yeah I think just to share that and, and make everyone feel just a little less ashamed because I, I lived in shame and guilt for many many years of my life and um you know just having this sense of that I wasn't where I should be that my you know what I thought my life would be and what society tells me my life should be was not where it was. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to make it just a little bit easier for people to be like, yeah, you know what, that's, that's how I feel. And, you know, it's a lot of feelings and it's a lot of, you know, ups and downs, but it's, that's also life. I think that's the other thing. I'm not exceptional in that. I'm not, you know, the only one who's dealt with this and people have dealt with similar people have dealt with worse. Um, but I think it's just about, you know, we are all in this together and nobody, nobody gets off lightly either I don't think you know at some point it catches up to us all and so um yeah dealing with those things and growing from those things and learning um and being grateful for what you do have throughout I think is is also the key yeah definitely definitely so what do you say to your friends you're you know you're <laughs> what do you say to them I'm, I'm writing a memoir and you're yeah. in it like I'm yeah. just I'm wondering what, what was their reaction um my friends were very excited um yeah very excited some of them started giving me alternative names to call them um or suggestions of alternative names <laughs> which I was like no you're all that my friends are all in there as their real names um and but the men all have nicknames but yeah my friends were just yeah, and again would sort of would be wonderful reminders of like oh my goodness are you going to include this story and I'd be like I had forgotten all about that and so there's some gems that have kind of been added in because friends have, have kept a very good tabs on what I've been doing um but yeah, they were all, you know, incredibly supportive. Um, there was a couple of friends I had to have conversations with just about, look, I'm including this piece. And maybe it was things that I actually feelings that I'd had about relationships or friendships that I hadn't maybe expressed, you know, outwardly or or fully to them. And I just felt like there was uh, definitely some conversations that had to be happened, uh, had to take place before, you know, they, they read about it in the book. Um, but everybody was, yeah, incredibly supportive. And it was actually great with some friends to sort of reminisce about, you know, stories that I was including and, you know, we hadn't maybe talked about for a while. Um, it also actually brought around a couple of friendships that had sort of, um, you know, fallen by the wayside or or had been a little unloved for a while. And so I'm, I'm super grateful for that as well. It has been, you know, phenomenal and just sort of uh, opening up conversation again, I guess, which is also part of why I wrote the book was because I want us to be able to have these awkward, slightly vulnerable or, or maybe slightly awkward and very vulnerable conversations mm -hmm. about ourselves. Yeah, well, you know, I think you're brave. I really do think you're brave because you do, you open up, you write about your thoughts, you write about your feelings, um, and you write about very personal yep. events. 
and you basically are opening your 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 life up to strangers to read um and that's 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 not everyone can do that you know um so what you said you received lots of supportive mm-hmm. feedback um from your memoir um and i saw some photos of your book launch um it's so wonderful it's good. yeah i've been incredibly blessed um by the support from you know people I have known and people I do not know it's been a really especially in you know I launched it sort of in the middle of summer um and uh, or, or kind of late summer I guess August time and so we're you know mid-covid and everyone is struggling and it's been just such a strange year um and it was really a lovely event in Vancouver at that point there was our numbers were fairly low and so the sort of lockdown measures were relaxed a little so I was able to have a a book launch for 50 people and so it was just really lovely to bring the book into the world in that way and since then you know like I said conversations with friends of mine but also just complete strangers and having people reach out and say oh my goodness this part of the book is me this is like I see myself in this or I hear myself in this or I've gone through the exact same thing and that was that was the whole point so to have people feel like they are seen and they are heard because someone else's story sounds like theirs is really the reason that I did it and so um just really fascinating conversations with people who you know now want to you know open up to me about their mental health or their dating or their marriage or their family relationships or you know sexual things that they might want to discuss and so I've been you know really interesting mm-hmm. conversations like I say with people that I've known with people that I don't um and I know that that people that have read the book have then gone on to have other conversations with people that they wouldn't necessarily have had before. And so, um, yeah, just wildly grateful for that. Um, people have also been very complimentary about my writing, which is wonderful because, you know, despite having published a book, mm-hmm. I still don't, don't necessarily consider myself a writer but uh, or an author, but uh, apparently that is now the case. And so, yeah, just really, really wonderful to kind of have that out there. And um, definitely scary, though. I think I didn't anticipate quite how emotionally um taxing it would be to have it out there and be you know just waiting I guess to have that feedback come in and especially when my boss tells me that he's buying a copy and he's gonna read it I was like oh this will make for an interesting Monday morning so um but again even then he you know he said to me he was like I actually you know I I so appreciate your story and he's like "I, I feel now you know I want to share almost to the level of playing field he's like you know I want to kind of share some of my stuff with you and so um yeah people appreciate vulnerability is what I have found people will never actually judge you for your vulnerability um at least in my experience and so that has been a wonderful lesson as well and and has allowed me then to be more vulnerable and and kind of sit in that a little bit better whereas before I would have absolutely been horrified at the thought of people you know thinking things about me and and making forming opinions you know but now it's kind of like well this is who I am and also that narrative is my own and so that makes it um, a little bit easier. I have ownership over that. And that for me was, was really key. It's, oh gosh, you touched on two things there. When you were talking about your friends um, identifying, you know, passages, yeah. right. And, 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 or identifying, you know, passages in your book. And I remember like with my, with my fiction are my two daughters, I'm having a conversation. And one of them, one of my, my oldest came up to me, she goes, so which one am I? Am I Sage or am I Jade? <laughs> and I'm, I'm explaining. Okay, well, both of you are actually a little, a little bit of each one, right? Yeah. You know, or else mixed in with a little bit of, you know, yeah. And then, oh, about your boss. I remember um, 
I remember my supervisor bought my novel and I was like, <laughs> oh God, right? You, you just, oh God, right? And then mine came out. Um, my The spouse, he said to me, he goes, so Joe, how does it feel knowing your book is out there? And I just, I said to him, I go, now everyone yeah. in the world knows what a warped sense of humor I now have or not sense of humor yeah. a warped imagination right <laughs> yeah yeah you so, and I think yeah. that's where you know I, I actually wrote it and then um, I wrote that first draft and actually sat on the draft for maybe a month or so partly because I always had to I actually at that point I had to go back to work and, and get a job to be able to fund the self-publishing but also because I really needed to get comfortable with exactly that being like, okay, it's going to be out there. And then you can't take it back. You know, people can't, especially with the memoir, it was like, people can't unknow the things they're going to know about me. So I have to make sure that I am 100% comfortable with this being out there and I will never be able to retract it. Like it's just not possible. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it, but it, it feels, it's an interesting feeling. It's like all the excitement and lots of fear uh, very much mixed in. Yeah. Well, Thank congratulations. Congratulations. I'm yeah. So what do you think you've learned about yourself after writing? Oh, after writing your question. Um, definitely that I am braver than I thought. Um, I feel like it was a real test of, you know, did I know myself and did I trust myself? And I think those are the questions that actually that journey of the book talk to entirely itself but actually the publishing of the book um probably gave me those answers in in a more finite um or, or sort of final uh way in terms of like wow I really I have such a good sense of myself now and I have such a good sense of what I am capable of um which is probably more than I ever expected as well which you know I think goes for everybody um you know when you it's really when you push yourself outside your comfort zone that you grow and that was for me, the the hugest lesson is that, you know, I'm far from done with growing. And I, I you know, I don't think it's ever a final destination. It's always that kind of journey. And so, um, yeah, just just that I, yeah, I, I definitely am braver than I thought. I think that's the, the overriding feeling. And also, that, like I say, people love vulnerability. It is, you know, to, to it allows vulnerability in others. And I think that's where that lesson of, deciding to really live in my vulnerability I think it taught me that it taught me to very securely live in that because it can be very scary um but actually if you can if you can find yourself and root yourself in it um then you know the the, the blessings that come are, are kind of abundant and I and I think when I'm just like what people don't realize is when I'm doing these podcasts I, I actually write notes and when you say live in your vulner, vulnerability I also think by being able to do that, you gain 100%. strength. Yes, yes, yeah. To take yourself yeah, down to those definitely. most, you know, authentic, but also, you know, arguably the most kind of um, worrying thoughts that you have and the most, you know, the, the things that keep you up at night. But to be able to strip yourself back to that and, and lay it bare and really with no excuse, you know, you're not, you're not making excuses for it. You're like, this is it. This is where I, this is who I am. This is what I deal with. This is who I've been. This is where I'm going. This is, you know, all the things that I've done. There is a huge amount of strength in that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I, I so strongly encourage everybody and I know that it's hard and I know that it's incredibly scary. Um, 
but it's also one of the things which I think will bring you your, your greatest strength. And I've been having wonderful conversations, like I say, with, with so many people since the book. And that's kind of always where, you know, where we talk, where we get to in those talks is, you know, being able to really find that strength that you didn't know you had until you have to, you know, when you, when there is nothing left, when there is only you, when there is, you know, nobody but yourself there, it's, that is where you find your strength. Um, because, you will only ever be able to save yourself. And so getting real comfortable with, with all the, the, all the light, all the darkness, as I say, is, um, is I think where you find that strength. Yes. Yes. And I mean, it's you who you're looking at in the mirror. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you? Mm-hmm. So on the I, um, you can go onto my website, which is louisejohnsonauthor.com. Um, so you can read about it there. There's also, you can buy the book directly from my website. Uh, the book is also available on Amazon um, as a paperback and also on Kindle and on Kobo. Um, but you can also find me on Facebook. Louise Johnson author is my page there. And I'm also on Instagram, uh, which is underscore Louise underscore Johnson um, underscore. So all the underscores and Louise Johnson. Yeah, I'm I'm on those platforms. I share still sharing, still still keeping people up to date with what's going on in my life. Um you know, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I I welcome any any feedback, any outreach, and and you know, people that want to chat and, and talk about anything that's in the book um, or anything that's not in the book as well. Um, yeah, I uh, I would love to love to welcome in new readers. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Lou. Thank you so much for coming on on my podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. I really I did. So appreciate it. Yeah, and. Um, what's next what's next people keep asking if Luhu 2 is coming and um she might but it's going to take a little while um I think there might be another book that I would write in between which is more of the kind of funny entertaining dating stories of which there are some in the book but there are plenty more that I didn't include um and so a little more maybe light-hearted um entertainment uh, easy read is is the plan um but no no official writing as yet but I will get to it at some point until then very much still on that kind of still discovering so much about myself and um and growing all the time and so um yeah just enjoying life in Vancouver and you know, hoping to make it through this ongoing change of, of time of life that everyone is experiencing in terms of the, the pandemic um, and, and how it's changing our relationships and how we how we live and how we, you know, engage with people and relate to people. So, um, yeah, just hoping to have a great 2021. I'm very excited about the year ahead. Well, I tell you, Lou Who Too is <laughs> a great title. And um, gosh, talk, I have to admit, you you I think you've also left a bit of a cliffhanger with the last one because part of me keeps thinking okay what about New York that's <laughs> the question I have been asked the most uh yeah what about New York boy there's there's a story there for sure <laughs> <laughs> okay well you have a good thank week, you so much Joanna. thank you so much